So Verdes, uh, thank you for joining me today in, in this conversation. And uh, I would like to ask you as a civil uh, civic consultant and public historian and now aspirant in ministry, you have a, a, an interesting pathway into, into the work, right? Not only of ministry, but more importantly, the work that you have been doing in civic engagement as we're looking into a, a, a national election coming up. Can you tell us a little bit, right, about that, that foundation of the work that you do and the importance of being civically engaged? Sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day um, that when I became a, a Unitarian Universalist, it was actually in 2008. And I'm not sure if it was a coincidence or it was related that that was actually the first year that I was a registered voter and the first year that I actually voted in an election. 2008, that was the same year that I became a Unitarian Universalist. So, um, and prior to that, you know, I had um, been a history professor. So some people were, um, so I would, when I would talk to people and I would ask them about, because civic engagement means more than voting, of course, but that is the gateway into, of, um, to being civically engaged and engaged in your community is through voting. And, um, and so, so I'd ask people like, why do you, why, you know, I was a professor, you know, I mean, I, I taught history and African-American studies at a college called Monroe Community College in Rochester, New York. So, um, and teaching a community college, I taught basically general history. So I taught world history. I actually created the world history um, survey courses um, at my, at my college. They didn't have them. Um, so I created them because um, everyone needs African history, Latin American history, as well as Western Civ and American, right? So, um, and, you know, but my wheelhouse was African American history. That was my wheelhouse. That's where I came, became more, very, very passionate. And students were actually learning for the first time, <laughs> you know, not, you know, um, something that they had forgotten about since middle school or high school. Um, so they are learning this information for the first time. So I taught the beginnings of the world, um, for, of the beginnings of democracy in ancient Athens. I taught the beginnings of our, of our democracy after the American Revolutionary War. Um, I, and I didn't pull any punches. So I taught the real, the real truth, you know, right. about Mr. George Washington and his 300 slaves. <laughs> you know, I taught that, that history. I also taught the Civil War. I taught about how in the, the 14th Amendment um, that, uh, that said that anyone born or, um, or naturalized is a citizen and then universal male suffrage. I taught about all of that. I taught about women's rights um, and, the, and women's suffrage. I taught about the, the Civil Rights Act uh, and the Civil Rights Movement. I taught all of that and yet, I was not a registered voter, yet I did not vote in elections. And people were just like, was it because your parents didn't vote? I was like, no, they voted. They were from the 60s. <laughs> so they voted every election. Um, it wasn't that I wasn't educated. I taught about democracy. I taught about the three branches of government. But because I taught it, because I knew the truth, I believed that my voice did not matter. I, I believed that my vote 
did not matter. If you think about the 2000 elections with Gore versus Bush. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. And that wasn't the only time that that happened. I know quite recently it happened with Clinton and Trump, but it happened three other or four other times in our history that the that the that the candidate who received the popular vote was not elected. So I was like, what 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 is my what why why does it matter? Without realizing that I was disfranchising myself. So I grew up holiness Pentecostal. <laughs> and the reason why I laugh is because I call myself a Unitarian Universalist Pentecostal. I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> so if you can help me, let me know. But you know, it's a journey. It's a journey, right? Because <laughs> the spirit is still with me, you know. Um, but um, for, for, for personal reasons and also, um, you know, reasons of, of, of my formation and faith development, um, I resigned from being a minister of the Pentecostal faith after three years. I was a minister for three years in 2008. And then I was in class and I came across Unitarian Universalism. And one thing that grabbed me, actually two things that grabbed me, the first principle, the inherent worth and dignity of every people, of every person, right? But the other thing that spoke to me was the fifth principle. And the part that says the use of the democratic process within our congregations in society at large. And I was like, okay. Then it, then it was just like, okay, that second principle, justice, equity, okay, I'm in the right place. <laughs> you know, I'm in the right place here because I don't feel as though, um, you know, where I was before or even my community um, that the democratic process was used or um, it was actually abused sometimes um, and that I had a say or that my voice mattered or that my vote mattered. They will do whatever they want to do, you know, that quote unquote they, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of what I could do. So um, taking you back to 2008, um, I realized that being a professor and now being introduced to um, this new um, denomination that was so social justice oriented. And I wasn't used to that. I was used to staying in the four walls and, um, and not even going outside of those, those walls. But the majority of the work was done outside mm -hmm. of this hour and a half service. <laughs> so I was like, this is a little different. You know, I'm used to being in church all day and all night on Sundays. Um, and, you know, then I thought about my, my place in the classroom. Here I am. I'm a black professor. And a lot of my classes have predominantly were predominantly black and brown. And, you know, and here I am teaching about voting, teaching about how um, people died and marched so that um, our rights to vote can be protected. Our, I mean, the, everyone, our, the, the whole, I mean, everyone who had been disfranchised and not just black vote but black and white vote and brown vote, the everyone's vote. So we can have the democracy that we should have mm -hmm. um, and make the democracy work as it should. And me being really, really convicted by that saying, I'm teaching this and yet 
I am not modeling how we should be. Um, so I decided that that year when Barack Obama came up and I was like, in my lifetime, seriously, in my lifetime, is this about to happen? And I was like, you know what, if this is about to happen, you know, I'm not going to be on the wrong side of history. I'm not going to be a spectator, a fly on the wall anymore. And that was what I was getting from being a Unitarian Universalist. Like, don't be a fly on the wall. <laughs> come out with us, <laughs> you know, come out of, of those dark places, you know, and seek justice. You know, that, that, that type of belief was really, really being poured into me by, um, by the congregants and the minister there. And so I decided, you know what, if I'm going to educate myself, if I'm going to get involved, in this this election, and not just because Barack Obama was was being nominated, I actually like Senator Edwards, but we won't talk about that. But <laughs> he was fiery, you know. But um, but then I wanted to say, okay, well that's blue. Well, what is the red saying? What 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 are they saying? Where do I stand? And I was taking myself through this 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 inner journey, and I realized that my majority of my students were not registered. They were not um, participants either. And they felt the same way that I had. So I took them on this journey. And, you know, I'll stop talking in a second. But um, that year, there was this one student, and he was 56 years old. And, um, and he had been incarcerated for the majority of his life. This is, this is a part of my ministry. Okay. So to really answer your question. So he was, he was incarcerated for the majority of his life. And he didn't know that since he was off the books, he was off of parole, he had done his time. And now he was at a community college getting educated and, you know, redoing his life, basically. That's why I love community colleges, because that revolving door, <laughs> that revolving door, first chance, second chance, third chance. Reminds me of someone I used to, you know, call a savior, right? <laughs> now he's like, he's, I'm a follower. I'm a follower, you know, uh, still. Um, because community colleges acted that way as well, you know. And so he, um, he, we, through the course of our educating ourselves, we realized that he was eligible. So he voted for the first time that year, 56 years old. And so did I. You know, after we engaged our classes, after you engaged the campus and our families and our neighbors in this very historic um, election, let me tell you, that night, um, election year, I get kind of emotional about it, but it was like 11.07 and I was preparing lectures for the next day. I was teaching two classes, African-American History 1 and African-American History 2 the next day, right? So one class, I was um, preparing a lecture on how enslaved women were abused by their slave masters, um, you know, uh, sexually and otherwise, um, you know, call, uh, with miscegenation and things like that. Um, and um, also, um, so I had to tell that story and tell my personal story because I'm 7% German. How did that happen? It wasn't by choice. Um, and then um, and then how in 1892, in the second class, how over 2000 people 
majority black males, um, but there were some women as well as some um, white allies were lynched and no one was ever, ever, ever brought to justice. So I was preparing those two lectures when at 11.07, I never will forget it, they had announced that Barack Obama was the president-elect of the country. And tears just poured out of my eyes. Um, And I did not know I was going to react that way. And I'm so glad I was by myself (laughs) because I was just a mess. And it was because, not because for the first time in my lifetime, a Black American had become um, uh, elected to president. And I never thought that that would happen, but be because I was involved. I was a part of that. And so I had to just let go of all my all my um, my lectures. I came in with American flag, <laughs> a patriot. Right. <laughs> you know, after all this time and my students came in the same way, even the ones that voted for Palin and McKay, they were just like, whatever. But they had smiles on their faces because we had engaged in the election. And um, and from that moment on. I was convinced of, of how, what that did to me, even though we, we know what happened afterwards, you know, just being a part of that, we were just like, what else can we do? <laughs> this, this, that's just the election, but what else can we do? It really empowered us. So I saw the principles in what I was doing, what I was teaching, even in the classroom. And, you know, um, it was a celebratory moment or the congregation that I was newly a part of. And from that moment on, I became a worship associate. I was in the social justice team. I did the small group ministry. You know, I did sermons every once in a while. And here I am, you know. Uh, you know, about 12 years later, second year at Meatville Lombard, re-answering a call that I had answered 15 years ago with the denomination that I know that I had always been a part of, just never knew it. <laughs> that is fascinating uh, to me. I think uh, I'm starting to think uh, today about some of the historical resonances, right, that, that, that I'm hearing in your, um, in your journey, right, that, uh, a very pivotal election year. And one of the things that move you into this process is really um, understanding a deeper faith commitment. What does it mean? to be part of, of a faith tradition and a faith mm-hmm. movement that, that embraces um, democratic ways of, of living, right? And we know that democracy, as much as a political philosophy is a governance, it is also an orientation towards life, right? It, it is a, mm-hmm. a, a way of engaging. Um, and the way in which you were able to, to make the connection, not only your responsibility, right, as a citizen to educate yourself and be engaged, but also to compel others to be engaged in the process, right? Not as a, um, an ideology, right? In which you have to have a commitment to a particular viewpoint or a particular candidates, but really to, to be connected to the work because the work is not solely about the election, it's what happened in the interim years and how do we engage as citizens in community right. at large. Right. Um, I think at this particular time for me, you know, a, a figure that comes to mind uh, regularly in conversation is uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, right? And, yes. and and her particular work. And I was just, I was listening with my children uh, that pivotal speech that she gave in, in um, 
Atlantic City, and and really the the push right of how do we really think uh, that the election is not only the election but it's about lives uh, that are being impacted by not being at the table, right? And I mean mm-hmm. silence, uh, but also understanding that this is not only about the election but on the ongoing changes that an election can bring in terms of who participates, why, uh, and to what extent. And, and I think right in this particular year, it is also another pivotal year. Right for in our in our election um, of a new president or uh, their election of, of the current president, and one mm-hmm. of the things that we keep hearing uh, in in the, in the news and media is this notion of a protest vote. Right, in other words, of not voting as a form of protest. Right. right. Um, and I wonder, right, given the work that you have done in communities, um, what is the impact? Right, that such a, a posture right could have. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you think about it, the last uh, the last election, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, that only forty six percent of the, the population voted in the last election. That means the the majority of Americans who were eligible to vote did not. Um, some of it was that. Um, and some people voted for, you know, Oprah Winfrey. She wasn't even on the ballot. <laughs> you know, that type of thing, because um, they didn't like Trump and they did not trust um, Hillary Clinton because of those emails. Remember those emails? Um, and, um, <laughs> and, and, and and like afterwards, I, I would ask people, so how are those emails doing for you? <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Um, but I can understand why people did not vote, because for 30 years of my life, well, I can't. I was only eligible to vote for 12 of those years, but for 12 years and also being educated and and learning the history of the stuff, I did not vote. If we can get to why um, that is and why there's such a mistrust or distrust of, I mean, we, and, and it's obvious reasons why there's such a mistrust in our government and um, in the system. And that is, that is a, a valid form of protest is just not getting us to the democracy that we could have, a true democracy. I mean, and even thinking of about at, at the beginning of our democracy, only white males with property were, were eligible voters. They, they were the only ones that could vote. And that was for a reason. And, we, and every like 50 years or so, we 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 kind of open up the democracy a little bit more. Um, what kind of democratic nation are we really when we have to constantly shift and open up and like maybe okay let's have some more people you know a part of the system. I mean that is so sad to me mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that uh, and so learning all of that, I can understand what why people would not vote. Um, as a form of cross, uh, um, a protest, but at the same time, is is I mean, what is that really doing? Um, especially if you're a person of color, what is that really doing? <laughs> I mean, if you do not vote, then you you really do not have a basis to complain about to to complain when something is not going your your way, or that you've been um, or your rights are being denied. Um, because the person that you did not vote for <laughs> to is in that office and making policies on your behalf, but not really because you didn't vote for them <laughs> and so forth and so on. 
Um, so that's why um, I try my hardest um, to really tell my story um, and, um, and also tell stories of others of, um, to really inspire people that, you know, when I did not vote, you know, is when I felt that a, I did not belong in this country. I was not a true citizen of this country. I felt, I mean, I, I mean, you know, and also, you know, I was not doing my, my duty as a citizen. And then I would wonder why, um, I want, I would wonder why, you know, I would never be called to do jury duty. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And I, I did a jury initiative with the jury commissioner. And he was like, wait a minute, you're not in the system. I was like, okay, something is up that I'm not in the system. So there are, <laughs> there are processes to block people from, from, um, from being citizens and it's on purpose. It's intentional. And it's, um, it's a part of white supremacy culture. It's a part of um, keeping certain people down and keeping other people on top. And in order to dismantle that, we have to do our civic duty. We have to do our community duty. We have to do our sacred duty as well. Thank you. Um, th that is true, right? There, there are ways in which in our history, both um, uh, as a nation, right, but also uh, as a movement, um, at times tend to um, not highlight, right, the ways in which our own processes and traditions uh, can, can impact the way, not only the way and the nature of participation, but who gets to participate fully, right, in, um, in our tables, right, and exactly. taking a hard look into how our tables are set up and who's welcome to the table. Um, and who participates as a as a full citizen, right? It, it is central, not only to the to the existence, right? Of I, I would say not only um, democracy, right, but congregational life, but also is thriving, right, into the future. Oh, yeah. um, and and I think a, a question uh, to to close our conversation um, as a seminarian, right? I think what I would like to, to to hear from you is what is the importance, right, for of theological education, right, for the kind of work that you do. You know, <laughs> um, it, it, it is essential for me. I mean, I mean, and I'm, I'm thankful that I'm at Meadville. <laughs> I'm thankful that I'm at Meadville. I mean, I really don't have, um, and not that I'm, I'm just talking to the president here, but, you know, I'm already enrolled and, you know, I have a 3.9 GPA so far. Please pray for me that I keep that. But <laughs> it's, been, it's been a struggle. But um, there, I mean, the civic education work has been my occupation and my um and my religious part of me has been a vocation to bring the two together has you know um is what i i've been trying to do for a while now and now i'm finding the tools to be able to do that um and it's and um to find the theories um behind all of that I mean, we have a professor that teaches liberal theology, but also Dr. Mike Hogue, the, the first time I heard him speak, 
he was speaking my language because he was talking about democracy and um, and theology and that and how they are related, how they're interconnected. And I was about to like get up and like do a little shout because I was like, I've been waiting for this. I've been wanting to find what I mean. I knew that there was a connection, not just with our principles, true, but if we're trying to go for peace, liberty, and justice for all, and we're not thinking about the connection of civic education and civic engagement and, and organizing to make our lives better um, and the lives of everyone around us, oh my goodness, but, but to be able to put a theory behind it, to be able to put terminology behind it, and not just this is how I feel, but you know, there's history behind all of this and to connect it is what I've been waiting for. And so um, this is a great marriage between my civic background and my religious future. Oh, thank you so much for for that insight. I think for, for me as a theological educator, uh, the reason I'm passionate about theology is because uh, it, is, it is, yes, love for the tradition. Um, but also the, the the ways in which the tradition itself can help hone not only the questions, right, but at times uh, make gestures towards some of the possible answers, right? Understanding that um, at any new time, any generations will have to answer the same questions or questions mm -hmm. in some ways anew. But I, I find those those resources of theological traditions to really help me think some of the questions, right, anew and, and offer uh, not only deeper answers, but answers that are fitting to the moments. And I think for me, that's something that I hear uh, as you are uh, talking about your own commitments, right, to the work. Right. It is a commitment of transformation, right, of, of of the social world that is also embedded, right, into a passion for for the life of of, of the spirit, right, and the life right. of of community. Right. And some people believe that you know the separation of between church and state, they take it really literally. <laughs> and so for a while, that's what I was doing. So. Now I I'm, I got the permission that I don't have to do that. <laughs> Being nonpartisan, but you know all that great stuff. But at the same time, you don't have to separate um, the two, but they go hand in hand in order for us to go higher in um, our callings. And I think that that's good to to be reminded, right? Particularly a tradition like Unitarian Universalism, uh, in which uh, the, there is really a passion towards social justice, right? And and a, and a passion to be involved in public. It's really being able to articulate, right? The, the rightful place of religion, right? In public, uh, not as dominating, right? The conversation, right? And, and establishing the sole agenda, but as a, as a firm conversation partner, right? As, as a conversation partner into how do we create a future together? Right, and in, mm -hmm. in, into this larger polity uh, of of being a nation, right, of being a community. And thank you, Verdis, uh, uh, so much for your insights and, and your conversation today. Um, I hope you are doing well and continue to do well during these times. Thank you. And thanks for this opportunity to, to share. Um, and I look forward to another couple of years at Meadville and, you know, I hope that I graduate on time <laughs> and, um, and thank you for this opportunity. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Mm -hmm.